Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 263 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, we'd like to thank Colonial Surety Company Bonds and Insurance for bringing you this podcast. Whatever court bonds you need, get a quote and purchase online at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. And we'd also like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted, pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. And we, of course, want to mention that the second edition of our book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, is available on Amazon. Everyone agrees these days that collaboration is essential. But now, even more than ever, knowing the right tools will make all the difference. As I like to say at the start of our recent podcast, what a difference another week or two makes in 2020. In our last episode, we shared some of our best tips on capturing, sharing, and developing your best new ideas. In this episode, we wanted to talk very preliminarily at this point, but a new project Tom and I want to start in a category some people are calling the second brain. That should grab your attention. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be discussing our tentative steps toward a second brain project, which we're going to keep a little bit mysterious for just a little bit longer. Uh, in our second segment, we will again answer another question from our voice mailbox. Yay! Leave your questions for us. Remember, we've got a voice mailbox. We'd love to hear your questions. We'd love to answer them in our second segment. That phone number is area code 720-441-6820. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. Uh, but first up, um, our mad scientist plans to create a second brain. To be honest, uh, second brain is, frankly, just another term that we've talked about for a long time on this podcast, and, and it's what I consider to be the topic of personal knowledge management. Um, how can you capture all the information that comes in? Articles, notes, pictures, documents, websites, screenshots, diagrams, anything that you get during the day that you think might be useful to our future selves. How can we capture it? How can we organize it? How can we share it, that information, so it actually is useful to us in the future? Probably a lot more than I can say, probably more that we're going to say here coming up. But Dennis, does that about capture the concept of the second brain, or is there more to start out with? Yeah, I think it really does. I mean, I, my, my notes here were that I, you want to take this information that you're gathering, uh, and, and sometimes formally gathering, and sometimes it just gathers for you, and you want to make it findable and actionable in the way that you need it and when you need it. And then I, I think that what we're also looking at is um, how can we collaborate on this? So how can we share, can we share this information we have? So when we're working on projects with others, how can we take advantage of those things that we either kept for each other for those projects or could be pulled into those projects? 
And uh, and so I, I think that's uh, that's a key thing. I, I will note, Tom, uh, that I I found a published article of mine from 2003 on na- personal knowledge management, and that actually might not have been my first article on on the topic. So something I've been thinking about for a long time. But I have to admit, Tom, there's no question that personal knowledge management is my biggest tech fail ever. Well, I think it's a lot of people's tech fail because um, there's just no time to do it. There are so many different ways to do it. And it's one of those things that always takes a backseat to other things that are, are, are a bigger priority. So I think this is an issue for a lot of people. And um, hopefully we'll get some interest in following kind of the journey that you and I are, are about to kind of start taking. But this is going to be one area where I'm going to maybe disagree slightly with you on on this approach because I think that at its heart, I, I you, you talk about collaboration and I am excited to work through these issues and talk about tools and methods and processes and all of these things. But I think that at its heart, the concept of this second brain that we're talking about is personal to you. What information is important to you may not be important to me. What tools may work for you might not work for me. So while I think we're going to go through this experiment together, I think it's possible that your and my results will be very much different from the other once we come out at the other end of this. Yeah, and I actually do agree with that, that it has to be very personal, but I think the portability part of it, so so you say, can I expose and share what I need with somebody that I'm collaborating with is is one of the most important features of whatever is a system that you put into place. And I guess it's, you know, I I think that We've we've tried a ton of stuff over the years, uh, and maybe we'll talk about some. And we will talk about some of them. And I sort of been thinking that you know, sort of like the best of times, worst of times to do this. So, so I think on the one hand, it's it's harder than it's ever been because there's so many different places information comes into us that we store it that we capture it, we don't know exactly how we're going to use something, and we, we just have uh, information in all sorts of different containers, and just sorting them out is, uh, is really difficult, and, and it has been, I would say, for at least, at least 20 years. So on the one hand, I think it's harder, and I don't know, Tom, we might just like list some of the places that you and I have shared notes and ideas uh, over the years. I know now we're we're trying to centralize a bit on Microsoft Teams, but we're sort of like in the early stages of that. But there's, I was just thinking, there's we have stuff scattered all over the place, don't we? Well. Well, do we? I mean, we don't. I, I mean, I was trying to think about it. There was one point in time where we used Google Wave, I think, long ago, and and that was what we thought was going to be the collaboration tool of the future. Um, and then it died a very untimely death. We've spent a lot of time in Google Docs. We still have stored some things in Google Docs. Um, there was a period of time, I think, where we might have shared Evernote notebooks in the past and looked at those. As part of the Teams experiment, we're probably using OneNote um, to some extent to share information. What am I missing? Those to me and the Teams that we're working on right now. Oh, I'm sorry, Slack. I missed that we spent a lot of time. But I wouldn't say that there's a lot of stuff 
in Slack other than our conversations. I mean, I think that, and maybe some of our conversation stuff is useful to have. Having it searchable is good, but those, frankly, that is not a small list of, of places for us to have put content over the years. Well, I mean, probably double up the number for you there. So you've left out the big one because we don't use it very much for anymore, and that's email. Um, so email, years, what? Years and years of email. Not to throw dirt on Google again, but uh, Google Reader, that we had this period of time where we we actually I could subscribe to uh, some of the things that you were looking at. That was kind of like a nice, nice, nice I don't feed even remember that I that. had. Uh, we've done bookmark sharing. We've done, we tried Scrivener, like you said, different Google Docs. We've done, uh, you know, OneNote we've, we played with. So I, I think there's just a bunch of things out there. And so I see two things. One, these things are in a lot of different places and it's super easy to forget these days where, where it was, you know. So even in Teams, because we have, like a chat thing and then different channels. And so the search then becomes becomes important. So there's a lot going on. So, but I'm not, I don't really feel daunted that much because I, th I think that technology is, is changing. And I sort of think that now might be the best time ever to try this. And so what I'm gonna do is that I'm gonna make that assertion and, and before I tell you why I think that, I'm going to see if you agree with me. Agree that now is the best time ever? Yes. Um, well, now you've caught me off guard with that question. I think that, I mean, I think that dealing with this issue that every time is the best time ever. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what particular reasoning you have at this point in time to say that now, other than the fact that. We're at home. We have the time. There are opportunities now that maybe haven't existed the same way that they've existed in the past. But, you know, this has been something I've been trying to do for a long time. So for me, it's always the best time to do it. Well, I, so for me, I think there's a couple things. So I, I think that we there really is the ability to start to pull different things together. We're starting to see more of that where you can settle on some standard platforms and pull things into it. I think we're starting to get to the point where, you know, both search and, as they like to call it, a little bit of AI can help us. Um, and, you know, it's just that, that thing of, uh, you know, cloud, uh, powerful computers, you know, bandwidth, all those sorts of things, I think are really coming together. So. I, I see the potential of this over time. And, and it's like you said, there's, uh, you know, the best time to start on this would have been 20 years ago. The second best time is now. So it's really intriguing. I'm glad that you, you brought this idea up, uh, which doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be easier for us. But uh, I, I think we're just starting. And I, and I like the idea that we have, because I think if we figure this out for you and me together on the sharing and collaboration, then that will make it easier for us to share with, with other people that we collaborate with in the future. And we'll really learn a lot from that. Well, I, I think that all of the reasons that you say that now is the best time are also arguments for why 
a year from now is an even better time because all the stuff's going to even be better a year from now. And two years from now, it'll be even better than that. And AI will improve and there'll be even more tools. Um, so I, I think that what's interesting is that there are tools now that 20 years ago didn't exist, that there are ways and processes of doing this that we didn't know about before, which make this the best time. But I just think it's going to continue to get better. I think that there will be more and more options. What worries me about that is, is whether or not developing a second brain, whether you go all in on what you're doing, and then a year from now, something even better comes out and you have to change your whole concept. Or is there an idea that we should be future-proofing our second brain so that no matter what we use in the future, it's okay. It's something that we can adapt to easily. I think that those are things I we need to think about because um, even though this may be the best time ever, it might not be the best time in two years because there might be even better things to do that we could have done a whole lot easier two years from now. So I think we're going to need to build that into our thinking when we're deciding how we're going to go about doing this. Right. And and even though you say that, Tom, I would say that if, if we were working on a project, whether it be a book project or whatever we're doing, and uh, you wanted me to share information with you and all of that, and I said, oh, wait, Tom, in two years, it'll be even better. That's not going to be an acceptable <laughs> no, no, but you. but 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 you and I are thinking about still. You're you still are coming at this from a collaboration standpoint, and for me, collaboration is a side is a side benefit of having a second brain. It's it's a feature and not the showcase. Is that the the primary purpose for me is I want to have a centralized location or locations where I can put all the information, all all the all the preliminary reading and research and thinking that I've been doing about this suggests that if it's not in one or very few places, then it's not successful. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it will be successful at collaborating. And so, you know, and so maybe this is a good time to ask, you know, what are we hiring that second brain to do? Because I may have a different purpose for it than what you're thinking of hiring your second brain to do. So why don't you get started on that? And then I'll tell you kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think that there is a, a lot of truth in that. So I think that for me, I just realized I have this stuff scattered all over the place. So there's a lot of ideas, there's drafts of articles, there's articles, there's video, there's audio, there's you know, stuff we've done for the podcast, other podcasts I've done. And we're just I'm just seeing it uh, really hard to access what I want. I have, uh, you know, tweets of other people that I like that I would like to capture there's bookmarks so we we you know we've started with a new bookmark tool that is is shareable um, so I say here's all this stuff and there will come a time when I need to do a presentation need to do a book need to do an article and I would just like to pull all that stuff together so Unlike what you were saying is that I do not want to have to spend time tagging, categorizing, putting stuff in one place. What I want is for that to happen seamlessly for me. And that's sort of my goal. So um, when I when I think about tools, but so the hiring, uh, hiring the second brain is, as you say, is to capture 
um, this stuff in a way that's usable. And by that, I mean, I, I mean, findable and actionable. And uh, even if there's chaos underneath that, my experience of that is something that's, that's really friendly and helpful for me to get exactly what it is that I want. And I would love to have the technology uh, do the stuff that I'm not great at, which is going to be tagging, categorizing, and that sort of thing. So my approach to this is, I think, a little bit different than pure knowledge management. I think I'm going to want to use it for many of the same reasons that you do. But the way that it was put to me, I thought that was really persuasive, was having a place where all of your future ideas are waiting for you, I think is probably the way that I would put it. Was listening to a podcast that was talking about this, and the way that they described it was talking about planning a wedding. That rather than spend months and months agonizing over decisions for a wedding, they sat down between the two of them, because they were both were keeping second brains, they opened up their wherever they were keeping their second brains, and they found all the ideas they'd been capturing over the past couple of years. As they saw things, they would see something here and something there and said, you know what, this is in case I ever get married. This would be really cool. And and they claim anyway, I, I it, it felt kind of smug to me and I kind of was jealous that you could do this, but they claim that within a few hours they were able to completely plan out their wedding and decide what it would look like rather than agonize over it. And I like the concept. I'm still skeptical of the of the ability to do that, but I like the concept of having an idea about something and wanting to bring that idea to fruition and realizing that I've been preparing my future self for that idea by storing all this information up over time. Yeah, so there's a lot in what you what you said there because I, I think that's um, one of the things I, when I say I would like things to be happen kind of in the unseen world of the technology that's able to say, oh, these things are related to each other. Here's some suggestions. Here's surface these things, you know, map things out, that that sort of thing. So speaking of maps, uh, we've talked a little bit about the value proposition canvas, which is something, a simple tool that that I like. Um, so if we if we have if we're starting to figure out what it is that we're hiring the the second brain to do for us or sometimes called the job to be done then there's the value proposition canvas I think helps us because we say if we successfully create the second brain what gains do we achieve and if we successfully create the second brain what pains do we either eliminate or alleviate. And I think this is where we'll, the approach that we take will we'll start to diverge a bit. So you can, I think, in, you can probably hear in what I'm saying is that I want to, to take the stuff that I've captured and then when I'm creating something new, roll it to the top show me some connections, bring everything together so I can use it. And then also, so I just don't reinvent the wheel, you know, of stuff that I've either already done or already have, you know, and that could be things like, you know, why did I do a new version of, why did I do a slide on this when I already have PowerPoint slides on the same topic? So there's that. And then I would say the pain I want to alleviate is, is is just this sort of waste I feel. I just feel like there's this chaos there and there should be 
you know, when I think about my my hard drive and my stuff, you know, in all the different cloud services, why can't I bring this together in a way that's useful to me? And so that's those are some of the things as I look at how I do that, and that will start to bring me toward it and and take the first steps, and then I realize that it's it's going to require uh, multiple iterations for me. So I don't I don't know if that's similar to your thinking, Tom, but that's when I use the value proposition canvas. That's sort of how I start to organize myself. No, I think it is. I, I think I'm. I think of the same thing. Maybe I get there in a different way than you do. But I think that what I'm looking at, I, I and I think that maybe when we, we're going to talk about this more in future episodes, and so we're probably going to talk about what our requirements are once we get past that and, and figure out how that happens. But as I am starting to take some first steps with this, one of my temptations is to look past the process to look past what those goals are as part of the value proposition canvas and get excited in the tool. I tend to want to, to say, I need to try new technology because that's where I live in the shiny, shiny, and I want to try something new, and I don't really think it through, and I start working on it, and either burn out quickly or it's not what I want um, or something happens. And so I think I need to to be more deliberate about that, think about it a little bit more. So so my first steps that I'm doing right now, to me it's not just about capturing that tweet or making sure that I know what PowerPoint slide that I've got, but you know, I read, I probably don't read as much as you, but I do read quite a bit, and I would tell you I probably don't retain much of what I read. And part of the, my preliminary reading on all of this and my research has indicated that that the ability to capture notes in books and articles and blog posts and things like that is incredibly important because it gets you to a point where the argument is that whatever's in that book or that article, you're only going to need to capture certain ideas out of it. And so there is a concept that we'll be talking about over time that's called progressive summarization, where you highlight information that you think is important, and then at a certain point in time, you go back to that highlighted information, and you begin to summarize it in a way that makes sense to you. Take out of that what's important to you and then get rid of the notes that you've made, get rid of the highlights that you've had, get rid of the book that you read, and then you've distilled it to what's important to you so that you've got that information in whatever your second brain winds up being. And so I think to be successful at this, one of the things that I think is obvious is that we have to go back to certain productivity principles. And I don't know if that's similar to getting things done or other types of methods, but being able to capture the information, have it all coming into a single point of focus, or, 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 or if not single, very limited places that it's being captured, maintain it in the right place or places rather than having it all over the place, being able to organize it, being able to get back to it, and being able to maintain it is going to be, I think, critically important to kind of where I'm starting out. Uh, wh what are you doing, Dennis? To, what are you thinking about as, as your first steps on getting this going? 
Well, I'm I'm trying to align with where you are, and and sort of for us to work on this together, it's going to be our typical thing. And you've identified it as that you're you're ready to you know go like okay, it's going to be teams. Oh, it's going to be this. Oh, it changed my mind on on that. It was going to be raindrop.io. Now it's going to be something else. So we always have to do that because I'm a little bit not as quick to move to new things, and then. The other thing that uh, is always an issue for us is, is uh, I would say that you, um, and this is everybody who kind of works with me, but I can be a little bit difficult to work with because I don't like to stay in lanes and I kind of, uh, you know, so my when I think of second brain, I say, oh, I just don't want to have to go remember like, oh, this needs to go in this, this needs to be this. I just want to be able to say, what I would like to have happen is I create wherever I create, I store, and then it's able to come together. And um, so that way of thinking really, uh, brings the notion of exportability from, you know, one tool into into something central and then pull it out in a way that's most useful to me. And I think that's going to carry through to collaboration and, and sharing. So um, I'm okay. I think there's a lot of different tools to start. We've talked about a few that we're going to start with, and I suspect we're going to see a lot of... Uh, uh, Microsoft 365 is is a base of what we're doing and some other things like that. But I, I think for me, it's that notion of uh, that I want to create things wherever I am and then be able to pull it back together, uh, ideally um, in a fairly automatic way. So I think that's where we are, Tom, with this. Uh, so uh, we'll keep our listeners posted, share what we learn, and uh, we always welcome feedback and ideas. But um, on this one, I don't know if we'll promise we'll adopt all the suggestions and ideas that people give us, because I, I think we have a strong start of where we're headed. I don't have anything more to add to that. I think uh, stay tuned. I think we're both excited on where we're headed, and we will keep you up to date in future podcasts. All right, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for messages from our sponsors. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local, pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry, connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. Wish you could get a quote and purchase an appeal, trustee, estate, or any other court or fiduciary bond quickly online? Colonial Surety Company has every bond you need and is a direct insurer that's U.S. Treasury listed, licensed in all 50 states and territories, and rated A excellent by AM Best. So you can be confident it's a trusted resource. Get started at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Reports. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. We love to get questions from you, our listeners, at our voicemail line at 720-441-6820. And in this episode, friend of the podcast and one of the true internet pioneers among lawyers, Jerry Lawson in Virginia, has a question for us about something often called security theater. Let's hear his question. Hi, uh, this is Jerry Lawson. 
I got to tell you, I love the podcast and I respect you guys for doing it so long and maintaining such a high quality level. I have one topic I thought you might want to address in your COVID-19 series. Security theater. This is a concept that is a favorite of the um, IT consultant, Bruce Schneier. And I've been seeing some examples of this lately. For example, the property management company that hosts a lot of Washington, D.C. law firms is telling law firms that they should check the temperatures of their employees when they come to work in the morning and also check their temperatures when they return from lunch. Now, some people may have the knee-jerk reaction that security theater has got to be bad. The thought occurred to me that maybe sometimes security theater could be good, and I wondered if you might be interested in identifying for your audience the ways in which they can detect security theater and also decide when it's good and when it's bad. Thanks. Bye. Tom, would you start us off? Well, so first, let's make sure that, I mean, Jerry talks about it a little bit, but let's fully define what security theater is. As Jerry mentioned, um, the term was first coined by security expert Bruce Schneier back in 2009. Um, It refers to security measures that make us feel more secure, but don't actually improve our security. And I think it recognizes that security is two different things. It's both a feeling and it's also a reality. And those two things can be very different sometimes. And where I think it's more visible is actually around physical security. So, for example, you may not know this or not. I didn't know it until we started talking about this. You're now allowed to travel on a plane with up to 12 ounces of hand sanitizer. When the previous rule was three ounces. Some would argue that the previous rule of three ounces was security theater. It was put in place because someone once was be able to create was able to create an explosive with liquid. So let's put this rule in place. But now the fact that we can carry 12 ounces of hand sanitizer kind of demonstrates that the prior rule was theater. Um, I think that most valid security theater examples apply to the physical world, but it's also possible to apply to the tech or cyber world as well. There are a couple of examples that are interesting, but I've got to be honest with you and you too, Jerry. I'm not sure I completely agree that they qualify as theater. So here's some examples that I've come up with that I've done research on. Some would argue that antivirus software is just theater because it does very little to stop malware or ransomware. True, but it stops viruses, right? So it's only, I think that it's security theater is theater as long as it gives people a false sense of security. And I think that antivirus does what it's supposed to do. It may not do more, but it's not expected to do more. Our firewalls security theater. Some would argue that firewalls are constantly getting breached at any company. They're always under attack. But as a first line of defense, are they better than nothing? I would say probably yes. Um, Some would argue that passwords are security theater because most people don't use password managers. They create very simple, easy-to-hack passwords. So... Is the theater that these people are believing that they're secure, or do they know better, but they're really lazy? Security training may actually be a good example of security theater, where they tell you the rules about it, but they don't actually test your knowledge. They don't test your awareness. They don't do a good job of sending you phishing emails to see if you're really 
gullible enough to click on that link. Um, so that may be one area what it happens. I would say that another instance where I do think it exists is, and it's more often than not, is when a user, when users at a company or a firm ask IT for a particular feature and they're told automatically no, and security is the main issue. I feel like that's an opportunity for security theater where IT can turn things down rather than figure out a secure way to give users the feature that they want. So that's my long-winded way of saying in the cyber world, there's a lot of aspects that don't necessarily work as advertised, but I'm also not convinced that I would call them theater either. I feel like it's part of a bigger picture. And while maybe users don't fully understand that whole picture, these small pieces are still doing their part to keep people secure. So that's kind of my long, rambly way of thinking about it. Dennis, feel free to disagree with me that if there are instances that I'm not thinking about. Well, I, I do agree with you. I, I, so I have two quick examples. So one is I think that there are some things that people do that they – uh, have the opposite uh, effect. So because uh, a lot of places have this big security thing where you have to change the password every 30 days. And people have generally found that that, you know, kind of forces people to to go to easier and simpler passwords. So it works. It works against you. I think the other thing is where you're doing these security things and you uh, send the wrong signal to people. And that wrong signal can be a number of, of different things. But I remember once talking to somebody who said that they, as a security consultant, had gone into a company and they did the thing with the, the spear phishing email test that's, that's pretty popular these days. And when, the first time they did it, they found that, let's say, the 10 people on the executive committee, including the CEO, as I recall, um, failed that test. So they did a little training for all the employees, of course, uh, not necessarily all the executives. And then they tried it again in a few months. Um, and I think they even kind of warned people that might be coming and um, all the executives failed again, or maybe all of them, but one. And I said, uh, how many people got fired? And they said, well, that's, a good, that's a good point. Nobody did. I go like, oh, as an employee, then why would I care about security? You know, like if, you know, you follow the model. So I think sometimes you're doing this stuff and if there's no consequence, we, you know, we as humans learn from this stuff and we either say, oh, there's one rule for the bosses and there's one rule for the rest of us or we, we draw these conclusions. And I think, so you have this thing where either you're doing something that you say is security that either clearly doesn't work or that it uh, actually incentivizes bad behavior. So that's what I would add to the thought. So it's an interesting question. And as people design their security approaches, it's just something that you definitely want to keep in mind. As you said, Bruce Snyder has always done a great job of, of writing and talking about that. So now it's time for our parting shots at one tip website or observation you can use the second this podcast ends tom take it away so i have been a yeah you know, we we talked about google reader earlier once google reader shut down i moved over to feedly and i know a lot of people have been using feedly as their news reader for some years now i like feedly quite a bit but lately i've noticed some comments and opinions and recommendations to to look at a another reader called i know reader i n o r e a d e r 
and I've taken a look at it, and the way that I've seen it described is that Arito is more for power users or users who have specific customization preferences, uh, saying that Feedly looks better, but I know or InnoReader works better. You can do things like have better customization. There's more that you can do on the free tier rather than have to pay for it, although there is a subscription where you get more features. Um, there's some automation. You can actually subscribe to email newsletters that come straight into InnoReader, and you can see them there. There are social features as well. Um, it, it looks like a very interesting and compelling option um, or alternative to Feedly. So if you're using Feedly, if you're tired of it, if you're looking for something new, if you haven't used a newsreader before, give InnoReader a try. There is a free version. There's also a premium and a uh, pro plan is, uh, is $4.17 a month. So $48 a year compared to a little bit more than three times that for Feedly. So cheaper and um, I'm going to give it a try. Inner Reader or Inner Reader. I wish I knew how to pronounce it. Dennis. Yeah, Tom, when I, I looked at this, I was ready to buy the uh, pro version uh, right away. So that could be part of our second brain stack. Two things. Once, once just a, a reminder, Tom, you and I were having this conversation that it was, as we see everything happening in the world, COVID, Black Lives Matter, economy, all this sort of stuff is changing you know, what are the things that we read, who we talk to, uh, you know, what we follow. And, and so I think my one tip here is to, to really think about your own filter bubble or the echo chamber you live in these days and try to, to open things up. So that's one thing. And then we were talking about security theater. So I found this, uh, this great uh, online security guide on a website called makeuseof.com. And it's a hundred, they call it the online security guide, hundred plus tips to stay safe against malware and scams. Um, believe me, the number of malware and scams and other things going on is, is accelerating and will continue to uh, do so as we go through everything that we're going through now. So can't pay enough attention to security, and this is not a bad place to start. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for our podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts along with transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please reach out to us on LinkedIn or leave us a voicemail. Remember, we've got, uh, we have got—we love to hear your voicemails. Uh, we are at 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.